You're listening to teaching from Castle Hills Christian Church in San Antonio, Texas. More information about Castle Hills Christian Church is available at chccsa.com. When I work with children, one of my favorite things to do is to ask them would you rather questions. And I ask them silly questions and, and questions that will make them laugh and still, something that will get their energy going. And so today, I thought that I would ask a would you rather question. Would you rather eat worms or would you rather find a worm in your bed? Would you rather eat worms, maybe, maybe you find one in your apple, or would you further find one, maybe in the middle of the night, do you feel something crawling on you and you pick it up and you find out it's a worm? I would rather eat worms. I didn't say what type of worm, and so if I'm gonna eat a worm, I'd much rather eat a gummy worm all day long. I love gummy worms, I love gummy bears. A true story, uh, one day I was out playing football, football practice, it's a rainy day, there's earthworms coming out of the ground. And one of the offensive linemen bet another offensive lineman, I think like $5, hey, I'll give you $5 if you'll eat a worm. Sure enough, this guy, he picks it up and he just eats into it. Anytime I see this guy on social media, you know what I always think of? I think, man, that's the guy who ate worms. So disgusting. Well, we've been in a series called Scary Stories. And today we're learning about a king, Herod Agrippa I, who was eaten by worms. And that's the way he died. He was eaten by worms. And I can think of a lot of ways that I don't want to die, and being eaten by worms is definitely one of them. It's disgusting. It's just, ugh, creepy. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 12. Uh, Luke, the writer of Acts, starts telling us about King Herod Agrippa I. There was a lot of Herods in the Bible. And it's important to understand that these Herods, uh, most of them were really bad guys. Herod Agrippa's grandpa uh, was Herod the Great. He was the Herod that would have been during the birth of Jesus that had all of the babies in Bethlehem two years and under uh, killed. Uh, he was known to be a persecutor of the church and known to kill his sons. Uh, it was said to, it was safer to be your, his pig than one of his sons. He would kill his wives. Actually, uh, Herod the Great killed Herod Agrippa's the first father uh, for, for some reason. Uh, we know that Herod Antipas was uh, Herod Agrippa's uncle, and he was the person who was responsible for beheading uh, John the Baptist. And so you see this, just this line of wicked, wicked uh, kings. Herod Agrippa, he was a typical politician. 
Uh, he was in good with the Pharisees, and sometimes he would uh, spend time with them. And, uh, and then he was also friends with a couple of uh, Roman emperors. And so he kind of played the field a little bit. He uh, loved the Pharisees supporting him, and then he also had Rome support. And we see at the beginning of Acts chapter 12 that he's responsible for killing the Apostle James, the brother of John, one of the early church leaders. And now he has Peter arrested. So you've got one church leader uh, killed, another one arrested. And we see in verse 3, he did this because it pleased the Jews. And he has 16 guards assigned to Peter. 16 guards. I'm like, it's just one guy. Now, there was two that were chained to him and two that were outside the cell, and then they would rotate through uh, throughout the day. And so someone, uh, they were always fresh, ready to, to be, uh, to do their duty. And so what we, what we see here is Herod is afraid that Peter's going to escape. Why is that the case? If you go back to Acts chapter 5, we see some of the apostles that had escaped. And so he's like, there's no way that Peter's going to escape. And here's what I want you to notice when we read through Acts chapter 12. The wisdom of the world says that power comes through aggression and strength and armies and status. It's about weapons and money and jails and courts and anger. But the wisdom of God is displayed through the church. So when we read through Acts chapter 12, I want you to kind of think about that. Wisdom of the world and then also the wisdom of God and how it's displayed through the church. Verse 5, I think we start seeing how it's displayed through the church. It says, so Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The church was earnestly praying for God for him. So James has been killed. Peter's in, been arrested. And so what does the church do? They pray. Now, they could have protested. They could have gotten signs out. They could have collected funds to, to get a fancy lawyer to try to help out. They could have gotten their swords out. They could have done all kinds of things. They could have fleed and said, hey, we're getting out of here. I mean, look, all of these bad things are happening. But what do they do? They pray and they pray earnestly. It's interesting in Greek, the only other place that this, this word is used is at the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus was praying right before his death. So you have the church coming together. This ragtag group of people, and not the elite. You had fishermen, and you had tax collectors, and you had widows, and you had people come together, and they're just pouring their hearts out, praying that Peter would be saved, that he would be released. And we talked about prayer about three weeks ago, but let's revisit a little bit about what we talked about. Why do people pray? Well, some people pray uh, because they treat Jesus like he's Santa Claus, or they treat God like he's Santa Claus. They try to manipulate him, and they request something, and like, God, you need to do this for me, and, and they keep on praying, like, God, I have this request, and you have to do this, and, and they treat like God is a, is a genie, just to give our wishes, and so that's kind of how they treat prayer. Some people, uh, they pray because they feel like the outcome is always better when you pray versus when you don't pray, but if that's the case, let me, let me just ask you, is that really true? At the beginning of the story, James is imprisoned by Herod, and we see that, that, he's, that he ends up losing his life. Don't you think the church prayed for James? Don't, don't, don't you think they, they prayed for him? Uh, eventually, Peter gets re released uh, from prison in this story, but eventually he's going to die. He's going to end up dying on an upside-down cross. Don't you think the church prayed for him? Now, we don't, we don't pray just because it always works out better. 
Because sometimes in life, even when we pray, things don't always work out better. So prayer is not just treating God like a genie. And we don't just pray because the outcome is always better, because sometimes it's not. There, there are many reasons why we do pray, but let me focus on a couple this morning. We pray because it's an opportunity to bring heaven to earth. God hears our prayers and he works through our prayers. And at times he chooses to bring heaven to earth. He does this in a wide variety of ways. And, and, and I would encourage you, if you didn't hear the sermon uh, on how to pray, go back to that. That's where I go into a little bit more in detail. Another reason why that we didn't talk about last uh, a few weeks ago is that prayer that that uh, prayer says that we don't put our trust in the things of this world. We don't put our trust and hope in our wealth, in politicians, in armies, in weapons, in outrage. Instead, when we pray, we're saying, God, we trust you. We trust you with the outcome, whether it's what we want or whether, we're, uh, whether we don't necessarily care for the outcome, but we trust you that you know what you're doing. And so when we pray, that's basically that's what we're doing. We're trusting God. And what's amazing about this is when we trust God, we see that so often he uses things that are totally opposite of what the world values. Many people saw Jesus as weak, especially as he died on the cross. And then they, they thought, man, Christianity is over. I mean, everything is done. But Jesus turns it upside down. He says, guess what? I conquered death. And I'm going to use this, this ragtag bunch called the church. And I'm going to have the church, I'm going to have the church display my wisdom to the world. And guess what? The church has been around and it continues to thrive through ups and downs. Even when it's persecuted, the church continues to bring heaven to earth, continues to show what godly wisdom looks like. Well, if you keep on reading in Acts chapter 12, there's an angel that appears to, that, that comes to the jail cell of Peter and, and strikes Peter, and wakes him up and says, get up and, and tells him to put on his clothes and put on his Nikes and, and put on your jacket. And next thing you know, I mean, the chains have fallen off and they, they go through the jail. They go through this gate. This gate just opens up. Uh, again, this is supernatural experience. Peter thinks he's having a vision. He can't believe what's happening. He's thinking, man, I'm dreaming. What's going on? Next thing you know, he's on the street and the angel's gone. And people are like, wow, I'm out of jail. And so what's he do? He, he ends up going to the house where the church had been praying. He knocks on the door. There's a servant girl named Rhoda. He hears, she hears his voice. And she's so excited. Hey, it's Peter. It's Peter. And she forgets to open up the door. That's how excited. And so she goes and says, hey, Peter's at the door. And they're like, no, you're crazy. He can't be at the door. He's in prison. Don't you know that? I mean, you, I don't know what's wrong with you, but uh, he, there's no way he can be here. Oh, it must be his angel, which is kind of an odd verse that I don't have time to go into. But, but evidently there was some kind of uh, Jewish belief of, about guarding angels showing up. But eventually, guess what? They go to the door, and, and Peter's there. Peter keeps on knocking. They're shocked to hear Peter. And you know what's funny in this story? All these people had earnestly be, been praying, but no one expected their prayers to be answered. Think about it. The church came together. They prayed earnestly, God, please protect Peter. Please release him. And he's released, but they didn't expect it to happen. Peter he thought he was having a vision. He didn't realize until later what was going on. The only person in the story that expected, that had some faith, was a young servant girl named Rhoda. 
And, and we, we look at this, and I can't help but wonder, is Luke contrasting the world's wisdom versus how God sees people? The world sees people as one way, and God sees people as a whole, a whole different way. We look at how the world celebrates strength and kings and wealth, and then God takes this little servant girl, this girl where women, girls, didn't have any rights, that were treated harshly. And on top of that, she's a servant girl. She didn't have power. She didn't have status. She didn't have money. And we see that this girl, she is celebrated as someone who had faith. And we see that God looks past the heart or past the exterior and looks at the heart. And, she, and he sees this faith of this little girl. And you know, that's what God caused the church to do as well. That God says, hey, don't look at the things that the world looks at. Look at the heart. You can look good on the outside. You can have wealth and you can have power and you can have status and you can be popular. But God looks at the heart. And some of you, maybe you're listening today or you're watching today and you're saying, you know, I'm here, but I don't really feel like I belong. I'm broken. I've got addiction. I've got sin. I, I'm poor. I don't have any money in my bank account. I don't have this and I don't have that. And I'm divorced and, and I've got health problems. And God says, guess what? Welcome. You're invited. And as a church... We want you to know that you're welcome here. That Castle Hills is a place for broken people. It's a, the church is a messy place. And Castle Hills is a messy place. And we have messy staff and messy leaders. We don't all have it together. But what we are here to do together is to worship God and to lay out our hearts and try to become more like Him each and every day. As we come to the end of Acts chapter 12, Starting at verse 19, it says, Herod went from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. He had been quarreling with some people, the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they had come together and they wanted to impress him. They needed food from him. You skip down to verse 21, and it says, On the appointed day, Herod was wearing his royal robes. Uh, Josephus, the Jewish historian, says they were like silver, they were glistening. And they, he sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people, and they shouted, This is the voice of a god! Not of a man, and immediately Herod did not praise, praise uh, did not give praise to God. And an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. And Herod Agrippa loved the praise of men. He, he had he loved power. He he had pride. And, and this time, God, when he sends an angel, wasn't to release someone from prison. In this case, it was to deliver punishment. And, and we see that Herod was eaten by worms. And, and when I imagined this, when I read it first time, I was like, oh, man, can you just imagine like a thousand worms just kind of coming on him and just eating him up or like all of these maggots just covering his body? I mean, just like this gruesome, scary story. And, but I'm, I'm not sure that, that Herod actually died immediately. I know that the text says he was struck down immediately. If you read in uh, Josephus, it says that, uh, that he was, uh, started feeling pains in his intestines uh, that were severe. And, and also uh, that five days later, he ended up dying from this pain. And so whether he died at that very moment or whether Josephus is correct, regardless, I think we see in the text that God punished Herod. And we see that, that God doesn't play around. If you read in verse 24, it says this, but then the word of God continued to spread and flourish. We started off as in the chapter, things look really bleak for the church. James had died, Peter's arrested, things don't look good. Yet God says, not so fast. 
in the midst of this craziness, I'm still working. I don't care what the world says. I'm working. The church uh, isn't perfect. It has many flaws. But God says, I'm going to use the church to display my wisdom, my love, my compassion. We are called to be displayers of God's wisdom on earth. And how is this done? It's done in many ways. One of the ways that we see in Acts chapter 12 is done by prayer. It's done by seeing people differently. We see the servant girls. We see the poor. We see the outcasts of the world. It's done by loving our city. It's done by viewing the world differently. We realize that uh, when we're focused on God, we simply see the world differently. Let, let me end with this question that I've been pondering. When people look at you, when people look at you, would they see God's wisdom being displayed in your life? When people look in your life, would they say, wow, that's someone who displays God, godly wisdom. Are you bringing heaven to earth? Are you bringing heaven to earth? That's a question I've been asking myself. And there's times that I feel like, yes, I'm on the right track. And then there's times that I blew it. But I think that's the challenge for us as Christians. Are we displaying godly wisdom in our life? Or are we caught up into the world and doing worldly things? Are we focused on God? Are we trying to make this earth a little, better, a little bit of a better place? Are we bringing heaven to earth?